What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you on a Saturday morning here in Los Angeles. Hope you're having a fantastic start to your weekend wherever you are, whether you're listening this on the weekend or maybe you're starting your week on Monday. It should be a great show today as we have Shane Young on the show. It should be a fun conversation after the Clippers beat the 76ers last night but before we get to shane listeners please please take a moment to follow at ethos fantasy bk on twitter the single most dominant basketball and fantasy news feed on earth get all your nba news in one handy twitter feed it's faster than the competition provides more analysis too again that's at ethos fantasy bk on twitter follow now all right let's get straight into it let's get to shane young shane what's up my guy how are you I'm doing great. I, I'm I'm glad to be back on a podcast. It feels like it's been a while. Uh, you know, hey, you, you don't do a pod for a little. Well, I guess you wouldn't know this, but if you don't do a pod for a little bit, kind of feel like you're rusty. So hopefully, uh, shake it off here. I actually would know about that because it's been a couple of weeks since I've done one here. Um, it's been crazy <laughs> on my end. I know it's been crazy on your end, and I just don't have a whole lot of time now with a kid and a job and commitments, and I've barely been able to watch the Clippers. I just don't have that okay. much time in general. Um, God, as long as you as long as long you are already uh, ingraining the kid into watching Clipper games yes. or making them a Clipper fan, then you're good. Yes, I am doing that. He is watching the Clippers, and my wife is into the Clippers, so that's all good. We're in good shape there, and I got a chance to watch <laughs> and listen some of the game yesterday. I caught Noah Eagle on the radio when I went to pick up dinner and then I came back and I watched the end of the game and overtime. So I want to yeah. start with yesterday's game. The Clippers win 102 to 101 over Philadelphia. By the way, you can follow Shane on Twitter at young NBA columnist and analyst for Forbes sports. And he's still looking for that full-time job to write about NBA. So if you oh, are man. listening to this and you want Shane to write for you full-time, he does a great job whether it's going over those videos and giving you some analysis there or just his writing in general. So there's a plug for you, Shane. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about yesterday's game because it basically is a microcosm of the Clippers season. They, first of all, get out to a big lead. Then they blow said lead, which is what they've been doing time and time again this season. And then they come back, which is another thing the Clippers have been doing this season. I don't understand this team at all. And normally you're able to get a pulse on a team. And you look across the locker room and you see the Lakers and you know what that team has. That team has a group that doesn't fit. They win games because of LeBron James. This team just doesn't make sense because A, they've had guys in and out of the lineup because of injuries and COVID, whether it be PG and Kawhi, obviously long-term PG. um, Mm -hmm. Kawhi's been out the entire season. PG, of course, with that, uh, hopefully not Tommy John surgery um, at some point, which is more of a baseball thing. Um, with the UCL, and then, of course, like I said, with COVID, you literally have had basically everybody on the team go into protocol. Sands, I believe Eric Bledsoe is one of the only ones that hasn't gone in. Um, so how do you look at this team? How do you understand this team? Because for me, all I know is the group that fights hard and they're well-coached, and they just don't have a ton of talent on paper, but sometimes, and that's why they blow the leads, but sometimes you have enough grit and determination. That's why they win these games. Your thoughts? Yeah, I, so I didn't know what to expect from this team coming into the year. And honestly, if you would have told me this outcome after, what, 47 games or so, 
like I would have probably said you were way too low on the team, but the, but that's before going into kind of the injuries and the COVID protocol situation you mentioned. So really, I think you have to really take this as a as a win, even though if you're you're one game under 500. And and the the reason I think it's kind of a a positive that it's turned out this way is because I think this is me personally coming back from all these deficits, twenty four down, twenty down. You know, I, I think the Denver one, the day after Christmas, was was insane too. Like that one still sticks in my mind. Although the the, the Sixers one last night will obviously uh, usurp that, and it's probably the best one of the season when it comes to you know rallying and and getting the job done in the clutch, but. You know, they've had multiple instances of this. And I think these type of performances, when Ty Lue said last night, like, you don't want to get down that much ever. So it's not a good thing that you're that you're having to come back from this all the time. But I do believe these experiences help build the camaraderie of the team. And, and you can say that they didn't really even need that because last year's team was so tight and was so, uh, you know, tied together that – they were probably the closest locker room in the league. And, and really like that, that's kind of what you needed going into this year. And I think they've already had that, but it, it helps build the confidence of an Eric Bledsoe. If you decide to keep him uh, past this year and, and, and have him play with the Kawhi and PG Clippers, which we have not seen yet. Um, it helps with, you know, Ivica Zubats taking another step forward. So I think really the identity of the team is, you know, we're not so much as talented as the rest of the league, and that's, I think, why you see them get down 15-20 maybe in first and second quarters uh, because opposing superstars like Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are fresh, yeah. and they are out to kill, <laughs> which they typically do. Uh, but but then when the group comes together, fight through adversity, um, and, and Tyloo's game plan management and, and really being prepared for these moments. I, I think really that's the team that you're seeing as a team that is comfortable fighting through the trenches with each other and uh, making strategic changes on the fly that, I, you know, we saw it last year, but but last year was the first time that you can really sit, say the Clippers had that, uh, I guess, comeback dog mentality. And it happened a couple times in the Doc Rivers era with Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, but it was nothing like this in terms of every time they get down 20, you can kind of count on a spark happening. It's crazy because you really can. It's You look at this team, and I think you just said it correctly. When you're down big, a lot of other teams will fold. This Clippers team just looks at it like, all right, the game's just begun. Like That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't happen often. And this is a Clippers team that right now sits in eighth. And they're a half a game back of the Lakers for the seven seed. They're tied with the Timberwolves at that 8-9 spot. And then uh, Portland's three games behind them. So uh, all things considered, not bad. I mean, it, it's most likely the Clippers are going to end up between that 7 and 10. And they're going to yeah. end in that play-in game. I mean, it just seems like that's inevitable at this point. I don't think Sacramento and New Orleans um, and San Antonio are good enough to catch the Clippers. And it's interesting because they're currently 23 and 24. And if you would have told me that a team of Batum, Morris, Zoo, Jackson, and Coffee as the starting five <laughs> would beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia, I would have called you absolutely crazy. And yeah. you, these are guys that as Clippers fans and people that follow the Clippers, we know what each guy brings to the table. We know Batum can go out there and be an excellent glue guy and what he has been 
for this team has been unbelievable. We know Marcus Morris can go out there and win games on his own. He did that with the Knicks. We know Zoo is a very good center. We know Reggie Jackson can light it up when he gets hot. He can also be very bad at times. And we know Amir Coffey has suddenly become a legit rotation player for the Clippers. Like We, we know that. But people on the outside look at this team and like, all right, yeah, this team will be lucky to make the playoffs. And the Clippers are certainly lucky that the West yeah. is as bad as it is right now. I mean, you lose Kawhi, yeah. you lose PG, and you roll out that starting five, you probably yeah. shouldn't be in the playoffs um, going against a lineup that has Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid. But it, it just, I think what uh, is amazing to me is the job that Ty Lue has just continued to do. And it's not just the adjustments that we see during the playoffs yeah. and the adjustments we see mid-game. But it's the lineups and starting mm-hmm. Amir Coffey and knowing when to bring in Batum as a, in the starting lineup, knowing when to bench Eric Bledsoe and bring him in off the bench and what he adds to the team, knowing when to start Luke Kennard and when to bench him and, and when to have him be that guy that comes in and lights it up from distance. It's just been really impressive to watch. What are your thoughts on what Ty Lu has brought to the table yeah. this season? Because it really seems like he is just putting on a clinic – and it's weird to say that for a team that's one game under 500. Yeah, you can kind of see that it's it's getting to him a little bit that this season is not you know smooth sailing. Yeah. Not that last year was either. I mean, PG went out for a while last year and things got a little bit rough for the Clippers. But uh, I think now you can you can see that he's frustrated with how there's no margin for error. Mm-hmm. If they lose the free throw slash foul battle, which they often do. Because they, you know, they just don't get to the line a lot. But they, but they don't foul a lot either. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword there. Uh, but if they're playing a dynamic superstar like Embiid, Luka, Jokic, Trey Young, whoever it is, that draws a lot of fouls, then obviously like Ty gets frustrated when they when they're losing on the margins there. But you can also tell that he's not used to this. This is all new because if you think about it. Although he's been in the league for quite a while, Ty Lue has never had a season like this. He's either top-tier contender, which I would argue they were last year as well, um, even though they only finished fourth in the standings. He's either top-tier contender or starting the season 0-6 and getting fired, like he did in Cleveland, right? (laughs) I don't think, to my knowledge, he's had a year where they've kind of struggled along. Uh, That last year in Cleveland when LeBron had – just a mixed match of players like like Isaiah Thomas and, and George Hill and all and Roddy Hood on his team. That year was kind of similar, but they still had LeBron freaking James playing eighty two games, right? So now you don't have the top tier superstar playing all the games for you and being available all the time, and you have to kind of find these machinations of lineups. And I couldn't believe this, Brandon. Through forty seven games, they've played three hundred and fifty one different lineups. Wow. 351 different five-man lineups in 47 games. Now, for context, I don't know if that's insane. But oh, that's I'm insane. Going into, I'm going to take a guess that it is. Yeah, that's insane. Um, that That's nuts because if you just think about like 10 men or 11 men and then obviously the different guys that are coming in and out, yeah. dude, that's nuts. So I said 351 for the Clippers. The Suns are at 244. <laughs> oh so, God. It, yeah, it just shows you – even though like teams like Phoenix and Golden State and, and all these other like and even Memphis that have a lot of uh, that, that have a lot of wins right now and they're you know over at the thirty one mark and they're in the top of the standings although they're good 
they've also had the benefit of of more continuity and more uh, availability than the Clippers. So I, I do believe if the Clippers had PG and Kawhi, that we'd be talking about them in the same vein as as Phoenix right now. So you know it is what it is. But uh, you know Ty mentioned last night after the game, he mentioned post game that the guys have given him a lot of rope and a lot of trust that. It, it might it might suck in the moment that you're not playing, uh, you know, the minutes that you want. And, and I'm not sure who he was really talking about in this sense. It could have been anybody on the roster, really. But, like, you take Nick Batum, for example, whether he's starting or coming off the bench. Morris starting, coming off the bench. Whoever it is. Serge is a good example. It, it seems like all these guys trust that although their minutes are fluctuating, it's going to be the best for the team. And... He said that everyone has bought into his style of, of, I guess, you know, changing around these these lineup combinations until they find something that works. And to 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 your uh, point earlier, you, you know what sucks about the Clippers this year is when they find something that works, something has to happen. Yeah. Luke Kennard goes into protocols. You know, uh, Reggie Jackson out for a couple a few games. Uh, it just seems like that that is something that that happens to them when they find something that works. Uh, some unknown cause or, or some random cause happens to break it up. So we can't even be mad at them for these blown leads and these losses to teams that are probably worse than them, right? Because yeah. you look at the team that they have, and like you said, all the different lineups that they've had to work with and the lack of chemistry and the injuries and guys going in and out of protocols, it, it's really hard to be mad at this team, even though you, as a fan, it's frustrating because you it's, they should be beating a team like New Orleans. You shouldn't be losing those types of games. But then they go and they beat a team like Philadelphia. And it's like, all right, we're just going to continue to have to ride these waves, it seems, until the end of the season, whether PG and Kawhi come back or not. It feels like that's kind of the way it's going to be, right? You, you can't be mad at this team. It, it, you want yeah. to be, but you can't. Yeah, I mean, the only thing you can be really, the only thing you can gripe about is is some of the individual performances. But but in terms of like the team wide, like fandom getting mad that they've lost three games in a row, like that that's another that's another bone I have to pick here. It's like I, I feel, and this is no one in, in in particular, no one like you know that I've seen doing this. But in general, in sports, if a team is going through struggles with just keeping their guys healthy, then you know, I, I don't think it's fair to, to jump ship and say that this team sucks or, or jump ship and say that, you know, that Ty Lue's doing a bad job. I've, I've seen that a couple times whenever they have a losing streak. And it's like, man, you don't understand how hard it is to win an NBA. And, and a big uh, example of that is, you know, aren't, aren't they 0-3 against the Pelicans and they've gotten waxed tw- twice at least? I think they lost all three to New Orleans this year, and they've gotten destroyed in a couple of those. Yep, they lost. Where- they lost ninety four eighty one. They lost one twenty three one hundred four and one thirteen eighty nine. <laughs> yeah, one where Jonas Valanciunas. I was in the building for that one. He he turned into Dirk Nowitzki right yeah. before our eyes. But uh, uh, so the, those type of losses, those sting because that's a team you should beat. Uh, I, in my opinion, it's a team you should beat every time. But when you don't have your full team ready to go, then then you can't even call that a, a a guaranteed winner. You can't even call that a a win that you should have in the bank because it, it, it's hard to beat the bad teams in this league, and the Clippers are, are finally realizing that. So this is the start of an eight-game road trip, okay? So you got Denver and Philadelphia out of the way. The Denver game, 
a heartbreaker to lose that one, but you just ran into a machine in Jokic. It's just the way it kind of goes. You win the game against Philadelphia, and I would have told you going into this road trip, the Clippers will probably come out of here with two wins. Um, yep. Just the way they've been playing and having to play against the likes of Philadelphia and Washington, who's actually been decent, and Miami and Charlotte, who's good, and Indiana, who has been hit or miss. I mean, there are some teams in there that, first of all, I mean, you look at New York, for example, tomorrow, and that's when you're like, all right, you can probably win that. Wouldn't surprise me if they go and lose by 15. Like It's just one yeah. of those things with the way they've been playing. It wouldn't surprise me if they win against New York. It wouldn't surprise me if they lose against New York. And you've watched in Orlando, and Orlando is probably one of the easier games. And you've got Orlando on the second night of a back-to-back. So it, it's <laughs> you're really set up to fail. Same thing with Indiana. Indiana is another one of the easier ones, and that's in the second night of a back-to-back. So it, it's difficult with this road trip. And I don't know. Uh, it's hard to kind of – normally I like to have people on, including yourself, and say, all right, predict how this team's going to end up. Um, oh, it's impossible. After these eight games, it really does feel like that's the case, right, Shane? Because you, you have no, no idea which team's going to show up night tonight. And I think the the whole Batum, you know, inconclusive test is showing how how wacky this season is. What? Like, is what let's it, talk about that for a second. Why is he being <laughs> tested? I, I don't understand <laughs> that. I, I am obviously all for testing and all for yeah. mass and being safe, but the guy just had COVID. Why is he still yeah. being tested? I, it does not make any I, sense at all to me. I got to be honest with you, Brandon, in this show entirely. Uh, I don't understand. I don't even know the rules right now. Yeah, like, I, it's gotten to the point where I don't know what the NBA is doing. I don't. I'm seriously asking. Like, do you know if the NBA is is testing all 18 plus players? It sure seems like day? that. Like, it, it, why is he being tested? Because they used to do it where last year they were coming in. The night before a game, and then they're getting tested. Twice a day. Yeah, and then they're getting tested the next day as well. Um, so they're getting tested twice a day. Now, I feel like you're only going to get tested if you have symptoms. There's no way but two months symptoms. Yeah. No way. And the thing about COVID is that I've known people that have tested positive and been positive for a couple months. But you, oh, wow. it's just the kind of the way it is. Like there, there's yeah. some, somebody has told me that they have a friend, uh, parent who's a doctor and they have known several people who have come in and just tested positive for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And so that's not the thing to do. Like it's possible. That he, hey, he may have been positive, but even if he was, why is he going back into protocols? Because it, it just doesn't make sense. It, it's wild. Yeah. It, I have no idea what to do with, with the COVID stuff and injuries this year because yeah. it's hard to keep up with who has what and and really that's that's the number one reason why it, it, it's a fool's errand to uh to kind of predict these road trips here because you take a team like miami for instance you have no idea what team is going to show up in miami these days yeah. i mean bam out of bio just came back but jimmy it seems like he's back for three games hurt back for three games hurt mm-hmm. or something's going on right um I, and and tyler hero just wanted to cut COVID protocols as well i'm sure he'll be back by, by that game but Still, it, it, it's that kind of it's that kind of dynamic where you have no idea what team is going to be in Indiana. Indiana's probably had some of the worst injury luck of the last three years that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, Malcolm Brogdon been out in and out. Uh, you know, Miles Turner seems to be durable, but that and then, but he just got hurt. So it, it, it it's it's Sabonis. Kind of crazy. Sabonis is now yeah. hurt for possibly a little while. For sure, but then you look and see you turn on TNT uh, the other night, and the Pacers are coming back from Golden State down 18 or so and, yeah. and, and winning the game. <laughs> so it, it's really th- – this league is chaotic this year. Um, one thing that I really like from the from the Clippers' perspective is it doesn't seem like their, their offensive process has strayed too far away from what they want. 
obviously like there, there's a there's a big chunk of Marcus Morris pull-ups and 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 mid-range design that that I'm not a fan of when it comes to how they get in their half-court offense. But you know, I guess with Morris being the best shot creator outside of Reggie Jackson on the team right now, which is not great to say, you kind of have to feed him a little bit to get him going and get him. It, it's sad to say this, but you kind of have to do that to to get him to play harder on defense. It seems like that's the case for a lot of players. Um, and and I, I like how they are still tops in the league in corner three-point percentage. I mean, they're fourth right now in terms of knocking down their corner threes. Um, that's not going to change. And, and it would be even better in terms of the, the proportion of shots they get from the corners if they had a dynamic star like Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, which they don't right now. So I, I kind of just I, – I feel like this team is in standby mode. And I'm not sure if you want to get into it, but but honestly, like if you ask me right now, I think this is the roster – this is the rotation that we're going to see for the rest of the year because I am not optimistic. I'm pessimistic that that PG and Kawhi will will be on the team or be uh, back in the lineup this year. All right, we'll talk about that in just a second. Hey, we have a brand new daily fantasy partner at Sports Ethos, Thrive Fantasy. Prop up with Thrive Fantasy on their mobile app or at thrivefantasy.com. Use the code Ethos, E-T-H-O-S, when you sign up to get a 100% deposit match bonus on your first deposit up to 100 bucks plus either two or four free game tickets to play. Pick player props on the biggest names playing every night. Score points when your props hit, and the players with the most points win a share of the nightly prize money. Check out our Sports Ethos DFS team or podcast for advice on winners. Again, that code is Ethos over at Thrive Fantasy. Dot com. You mentioned it, and so let's go straight into it, the trade deadline, which is on February 10th. And for the Clippers, I think we're going to get an idea of whether this team thinks Kawhi and PG are coming back based on what they do. It feels like if they don't do anything, Shane, then it's very possible um, that they think that perhaps Ka- uh, Kawhi and PG are going to come back because they want uh, Bledsoe and Marcus Morris to be there. But also at the same time, if they get rid of a guy like Eric Bledsoe and trade him to a contender, it it seems like that would mean giving up depending on what the return is on those deals. I think the return on the deal obviously is the most important part. If they get something that can help them this year, they clearly think that Kawhi and PG can come back. If they get something that is more of a future investment, whether it be a young player or picks, that would kind of show us that they don't think that PG is going to come back for very long and perhaps they don't even want to bring back Kawhi because I thought Shane at the beginning of the season, I I would have put my, uh, I would have put that 90% chance Mm -hmm. that Kawhi was coming back. I I would have put that. You and I did a podcast yeah, and, but we both, I I came out and said like, I think March 15th would be where I kind of expect, but you know, getting to think about it a little bit, um, I kind of, I kind of realized this in real time whenever I was replying to somebody, they asked about, you know, Kawhi, his activity right now or what he's been doing. And really none of us know, like, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows what he's doing actually. Um, But I thought about it. Like, what if like, he's not even cleared to play. Like Kawhi is not cleared for contact as far as I'm, as far as I know. So that means he's not doing scrimmages. He's not doing full contact work. How long Brandon did it take? And I, this is like a, I guess, a rhetorical question, but but it took a long time for Marcus Morris, whenever he got cleared for contact, and then when he first played this year, like he was out for a while, right? And that's a guy that was just having knee soreness. 
Like, and Jamal Murray, I think he just got cleared for contact, or he's about to get cleared for contact. Then it's going to be a, a ramp-up period for him. So if we haven't even got word that Kawhi's practicing or scrimmaging, doing three-on-three, three, whatever it is, we haven't even gotten that word yet. Um, when we do, so let's just say that's mid-February, uh, I just don't know if the Clippers are going to immediately put him out there two weeks later. Like, I think from that moment that he is cleared officially, uh, it would be like maybe four weeks. Yeah. And then you're then you're pushing yourself into late March, right? And at that point, I don't know if it's worth it. But but to your point, it, it's going to come down to that trade deadline decision. If they stick with this roster, then it's like, I guess they believe that it's going to happen. But if they trade some pieces away, maybe, you know, uh, maybe that's them signaling that they're not um, necessarily playing for this year, but playing for the future. And to me, if it if it were me, I would look at I would look at the landscape for them. If I'm the Clippers, I look at the landscape on March first. So on March first, there there will have been 64 games played, and trade deadline will already pass. All star break will already pass. So that's a, a a couple weeks. It's one week after the All Star break, so you have time to to rest and heal up. Um, and then you'd be coming off a back-to-back or a, a doubleheader against Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be two wins. Who knows? But whatever your record is on March 1st, let's say they're 30 and 34, four games under 500. I'm, I'll ask you, do you think it's worth if, – if Paul and, and Kawhi are, are healthy and ready to go, are, are you sure it's worth bringing them back if you're four games under 500? It depends where you are in the playoff picture, and it's interesting because you just brought you just broke down the scenario of Kawhi returning possibly in March, and I think your timeline makes sense because I, I think it will take about three to four weeks once we get word that he's on three and three three on three that to come back. I think four weeks is a very reasonable timeline there. So if we get word of that being in February, he comes back in March, he has about a month um, until the playoffs, and I think all along it's been about the playoffs and. Um, if you look at the standings, and I mentioned the Clippers are eighth. If you are in that top eight, I think it's worth it to bring them back. Because is there a team this year that you can 100% say is going to win the title? I don't think you can, because it no. feels like the West is wide open. The East has Kyrie, who's going to refuse to get vaxxed, which means he's not going to play in home games during the playoffs, which is going to be the strangest thing to see when he pops up for the road games, but he's not there for the home games. And it's just going to be KD and Harden, and KD mm-hmm. is hurt right now. And you look at the top teams that are currently in both the West and the East. I mean, right now, in the East, it's Brooklyn and then Chicago, who's got a really good team, and Miami. And those three teams are very good. Of course, Milwaukee is a team that just um, won the NBA title. And then you look at, it, at the West. It's Phoenix, it's Golden State, it's yeah. Memphis. I mean, all teams that I feel like the Clippers could beat with Kawhi mm-hmm. and PG. So I feel like if Kawhi is able to come back in March, I think you bring him back because I think you have such a short window, Shane, to win a title. You have three years now for them to win. Mm-hmm. And the question is, can you get it done? Because every year you can have a new injury that pops up. So if they're both healthy, Bingo. You, you nailed it there. Yeah. Um, I think if you're, if you're both healthy in Kawhi and PG, I think you got to come back and try and make a run at it. So the, what I was thinking initially was you just wait till next year. But next year, dude, you could have – knock on wood. I'm just saying this for hypothetical purposes, but you could have Aviza Zubats out for the year. Yep. You could have Reg, something happen to Reggie Jackson. Nick Batum might not be available for you. So, I mean, it's it, 
it is very fragile. Your window is very fragile, and it, it's it's so fragile that I think that if Ty Lue was the head coach in the bubble, they're champions in the bubble. Agree. So it, it's it's insane to think that they haven't. They've only made one. They've only made the conference finals once, and Kawhi wasn't even there. It's just insane to think about that. But um, the reason I said I was pessimistic at the top of this segment is because, you know, uh, Clippers fans won't like this, but I just have a hard time believing. Even though we just spent threnty minutes talking about like how how they are re- relentless and they are uh, the comeback kings right now. I just have a hard time believing they're going to be within striking distance. Like, you know, or I I, I don't think their record is going to be that good come then because of all these road games. It, it's very hellacious coming up. I mean, you get into these segments where even after this road road trip, they have, you know, Golden State, Dallas twice in a row, Memphis. In a four-game stretch, it's Memphis, Dallas, Dallas, Golden State, and then Phoenix. Like, that's insane. Yeah. And, I, and I just have a hard time believing they're going to stay afloat. Um, so I think, you know, I think they'll be around 30, 34 when it comes to March um, in terms of the record. And it comes down to if they're the eight seed, then if you look at Phoenix, could they beat Phoenix with Kawhi and PG? Sure. Yes. They would have but, beat Phoenix last year if Kawhi was healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but Phoenix has had all this continuity this year. They've yeah. never they haven't really had a bad injury. Devin Booker got COVID. That was it. Um, DeAndre Ayton's going through some ankle stuff right now, but that'll be fine. Uh, I just don't know if there's enough time for Kawhi to get integrated with this team. He's never played with Eric Bledsoe ever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just, I don't know if there's enough time for them to, to get the traction to be the team that you thought they would be before the season started. So let me and, ask you and, this and, and enough to beat Phoenix. So if, if you're saying that, and by the way, I'm still in the camp that if he's healthy and he's able to come back, I think you bring him back. E- even if it's, you're you're the eight seed. You're the nine seed. I think you bring him back because knowing Kawhi, he could very well get hurt again next year. So if you have a chance to go after it, I think you have to do it. Um, but knowing what you just said, and would you trade away guys like mm-hmm. Bledsoe or Morris? Would you trade them if you're the Clippers? Uh, really because hard. you're under the impression that you think that they should probably play for next year if they end up being that mm-hmm. eight or nine seed. So what are your thoughts? If so, what do you try and get in return? Yeah. I think you for sure 1000% try to dangle Ibaka out there and see if they and see if somebody wants Serge Ibaka. Yeah, for uh, sure. I think they're going to trade him no matter what. I I think even if yes. they're going for it this year, even if they're selling, I think they're going to trade him no matter what. Cuz think about it. Does he really have a place on the roster next year? I don't no. think so. Uh, it comes down to if Isaiah Hartenstein is going to be really good or not. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be good. Um, and and the, the, they can find a stretch big somewhere. It seems like stretch bigs that aren't that talented, but they, but, but they can at least provide that shooting and that spacing for you, it won't be hard to find. Yeah. I think if Kawhi and PG are back, they can find someone like that on the minimum. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think they would be able to find a stretch big. You know, I'm just kind of – spitballing here but in my mind Nemanja Bielinsa someone like that pops into mind Frank Kaminsky uh, pops into my head yeah so someone that's going to be that can be cheap yeah. and and doesn't require the min, the full mid level exception like Serge um and and really I don't think Serge has done enough to to warrant another deal unless Kawhi just begs the front office to do it because he like Serge but that's another point uh but with Bledsoe it's really tough like like I can't even decide what I want to do with Bledsoe yet I lean towards uh, wanting to keep him. I know he's on an expiring, but 
kind of gauging the market to see what he'll what offers he'll get and i just don't happen to believe he'll get many great offers um so it's like do you want to bring him back honestly from what he's shown this year that he can stay durable and healthy i mean the dude's the dude's a a mac truck yeah like he just doesn't get hurt it seems and he's a bulldozer um going through traffic at will and and the ability the speed he still has uh, to get downhill, I I, I kind of think I would keep him around, but not on a long term deal. Obviously, something short term. So for me, Surge is the only real one that I can see. Um, I'm gonna assume since they extended Terrence that they can't move him, and I think he's locked into the deal. So it is what it is. It seems like everyone's locked in except for Bledsoe and and Surge. Yeah, I, I like Bledsoe. Um, I, I people wouldn't... said that people said to try to gauge the market for Nick Batum and I call those people insane. Yeah. I think you keep those <laughs> you can't guys. Trade them. Yeah. I think you keep Batum. I think you keep Bledsoe and it's because of what you said. And I've said this on this pod ever since the start of the season. And even going back to the Pat Bev trade, I was fine with the trade because uh, Pat Bev just gets hurt all the time. He's hurt right now. And he yeah. missed time earlier in the season. He last time we did this pod, I believe it was, he had missed like 11 or 12 games. And now it's even more than that because of this injury. So he can't stay healthy and Bledsoe has. And at this point it's gotten past the jinx. Like if he gets hurt, he gets hurt. But we've talked about it so many times with Eric Bledsoe that he's been able to stay healthy and he has. And so you want guys on your team that are going to be available, especially when you've got guys like PG and Kawhi who are injury risks and you need people who are there that can actually provide you with something offensively and defensively. So I, I, and if go ahead, I was just going to say, if Bledsoe is shooting 40% on catch-and-shoot threes, which he is, yeah, uh, that's an indicator to me that he works well with Kawhi and PG. Yeah, it was enjoyable in the start of the season. Everybody wanted to shit Bledsoe out of town when he was shooting 18% from three, and everyone's like, all right, are you just not looking at what he's done in his <laughs> career? Like it, It's just one of those things where it, averages eventually end up going and looking the same year to year. So you don't have a drastic decline. Even with Jason Tatum, he started off terribly from the field this season. And he's now, I think, 5% below where he was uh, norm- last season. But still, I mean, yeah. he'll end up when the season's over. It's called positive regression. He'll get back mm-hmm. to close to where he is. It's just the way it goes. And and I, I think if you do try to trade Bledsoe, you're not getting anything in return that that kind of helps you for next year, right? Yeah. Like, I just, I don't think you're getting young pieces back for it whatsoever. You might get a pick, but what's I help you when you're trying to win a championship, you know? Yeah. So. All right, folks, this is the season of giving, but stop giving your personal information to your ISP. On top of overcharging, your ISP is allowed to legally sell your browsing history to third-party advertisers for a ton of cash. Take your privacy back with ExpressVPN. Head to our special promotional link at expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Yes, they still have the old name to get three bonus months on a 12-month subscription. It's super easy. Turning it on just takes one click and it works great with streaming services like Netflix or sports packages like League Pass. Once more, that's expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Grab those three bonus months now. I want to take some time before we uh, say goodbye, Shane, to talk about Amir Coffee, And mm-hmm. I think it kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with Terrence Mann and what the Clippers have been able to do. You can even add Brandon Boston Jr. in there with the development of players. And the Clippers lost some of their development staff last year, but it continues to be a theme for the Clippers where the last several years, you've had guys that have become legit rotational pieces. Terrence Mann became that guy. And now it's Amir Coffey. 
what is it about Amir Coffee that has allowed him to take this step? Because it feels like for the last couple of years, I would say his name and I would just throw it in the back as if he was never going to make the mm. roster. But all of a sudden now, he's a legit guy that is a very stretchy wing that can shoot the three, mm. that can defend, is active. It's unexpected on my end, Shane. Is it unexpected on yours? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I wrote in my big preview that uh, I don't think he has a place in the rotation, yeah. and I'm going to eat crow so hard on that one. Uh, I, I did not think that he was going to be uh, anyone to really get you know excited over this year. But, hey, it, he's been probably the best story. I guess you could say like the way Paul George started the year was insane, and he was MVP-worthy uh, when he started the year, but then he got hurt. But I think Amir Coffey has been the best feel-good story so far. And you asked me what it is about it, about him. Uh, I'm going to say number one is the willingness to learn. Uh, you don't really see him going off course in terms of breaking the play and, and, and going into isolation or you know, taking a bad pull-up two. Uh, he's only taken 15 long twos this year, which I really love. Um, <laughs> that's not, you know, I, I would I would venture to guess Marcus Morris is up to like 70 or up to like 100 or so. But, uh, you know, Amir Coffey only taking 15 long twos. He's, he seems to just enjoy attacking the basket, getting into the paint, uh, and then knocking down the corner threes and above the break threes when he's given an open opportunity. Uh, he He's a, it seems like he's a coach's, uh, it seems like he's a coach's dream. To be honest with you, and I, th- I feel like Ty Lue has raved about him all year when he's asked about Amir Coffey, and you even see Reggie Jackson last night, who was doing his post game next to Amir, uh, just kept on giving him all this praise for for being a, uh, a professional, and you know whether he's getting the touches or not, uh, just always playing defense. The fact that Amir plays that hard of defense, uh, probably the best on the Clippers outside of Nick Batum right now, uh, despite not getting all the shots, pretty incredible. Uh, so that's the guy you need. And wh- how I don't know how old he is, 23, 24. Uh, let me see. I'm pulling it up, too. He's 24 years old. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, you know, you probably have you, – you still probably have three years until he's he's the best version of himself. Uh, I, I, the fact that you can keep him in the organization, hopefully – uh, for the Clippers' sake, keep him in the system. And it seems like he's gone from two-way contract to bona fide full contract whenever they give it to him. And next year, he'll be in the top eight or nine guys. Okay, I'm glad you just said that because now is going to be a very tough question that you need to answer. And we can break this down together. So, PG, one. Kawhi, mm-hmm. two. Marcus Morris, three. Zoo, four. Batum, Five, Reggie Jackson, six, Bledsoe, mm. seven, Man, eight, Canard, nine. I'm assuming. Forgot about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- that's exactly. That's my question to you is mm. where does he fit? And it feels like the Clippers need to make a move, either it's at the deadline this year or in the offseason. It feels like the Clippers now just have too many good players, not great players. Not average players, but good players. And they need to figure out a way to open up time. I mean, you look at Jackson and Bledsoe. Those two guys are guards. Um, Then you look Mm -hmm. at Coffee. You look at Batum. You look at Morris. Those are guys, and Kennard, obviously, a guard. You look at these guys in Boston. You have all these guys, and you wonder, how do they fit? Well, you know, I don't think... To me, I know Brandon Boston's been another good story, but I just never really believed that he was going to 
as long as this roster construction is what it is right yeah. now, I don't think that he needs minutes. Or I don't think he, I, he needs minutes, but I don't think he's going to be in the long-term plans in terms of Kawhi and PG, it, the rotation whenever they are trying to win a title. Um, just not been that impressed. But it's, you know, I, I, you mentioned all the names, and it gets really hard to kind of weed out guys. I don't know about you personally, but I've kind of soured a little bit on Terrence Mann. Um, he has I not taken the leap that he should have taken this year. I think that's a, yeah. that's a very good uh, – that's, a I think, a more uh, – a nicer way to put it is that after what mm-hmm. we saw in the playoffs, you would expect him to be more of a legitimate threat this season, and it just hasn't yeah. been the case. I mean, when he plays – And he'll 18, be 26 next year. Yeah. You know, Terrence will be 26 next year. And, and you know, I, I, I would – feel the market to see what people or what teams would would get for him but i don't think he'd be traded this year so it's uh it's really tough but but i i do see as terrence fan someone that they could dangle in front of someone especially with the contract that he has right like it's a good contract yeah good team friendly deal uh you know how i feel about luke Kennard. i think luke Kennard is yeah. one of the best shooters in the world on earth um we haven't seen him next to Kawhi and pg all that much you know, a little bit last year, but he was benched. <laughs> he was benched down the stretch of the season until the playoffs. So uh, I, I don't. I would not trade him. You know, I, I think maybe I was a little bit too uh, hyper about the coffee thing uh, when it comes to putting him in the top eight. <sighs> I could see him fighting with uh, more. You know, with Batum and and uh, you know m- maybe Bledsoe for some of those minutes and stuff. But but both of those guys are integral to what they do. Uh, maybe the answer I'll ask you here is the answer to kind of see what you can get from Marcus Morris, but I don't like that idea either because he's such a great catch and shoot player and such a great, um, I guess a great teammate. It seems like since he got to the Clippers, he's been a really good teammate for these guys and everyone loves him. Yeah. And the thing with Marcus Morris is that you need a guy like Mook when you have your star players out. When yeah. you don't have mm-hmm. Kawhi, you don't have PG, and those two guys have shown that they can't stay healthy over the last couple of years, and they miss games in back-to-backs. So you need someone there, like Marcus Morris, that can carry a larger load and get you those points when you need it. And granted, he has not quite been the score that he was in New York, but he's capable of it. So it's tough. I think, honestly, the answer to this question is you float out your entire team and see what the best offer is. I really yeah. think that when you have this many guys that are so close um, in terms of how you would rate these players, I think it's worth seeing what any of them can get. I mean, you look at the starting five from yesterday in Jackson, Zoo, Coffee, Morris, and Batum. I think Zoo's the only untouchable there. And you see what everybody yeah. else can fetch. Even if it's Nick Batum, I think you what you see what he fetches because he may give you something that you want. Most likely not. Um, he's probably going to be a guy that's going to be more difficult yeah. to trade because I don't know if somebody's going to give you something that, that as valuable. Uh, as long as people under, hear what you said about Zoo being untouchable, please, people yeah. that listen to this podcast, yeah. quit including Zubots in your deals because the dude is 24 years old, about to be 25 years old, and on he's going to be on a really good deal, I feel like, for the rest of his career, maybe you know team-friendly, um, and one of the best screen setters in the NBA. One of the five to six best screen setters in the league. So he's exactly what you need. And Zoo's durability, to be honest with you, is the reason they only need one of these traditional bigs on the team. Like, you know, Hartenstein isn't going to get consistent minutes. Serge, not going to get consistent minutes. Like Zoo, and then you go small ball. 
So that's that's Tyler's formula. It's like you start the game with Zoo and you have all these uh, possessions where you kind of play traditionally. Then you can kind of uh, dangle Batum and, and Morris out there as your small ball fives. Shane, it's always a blast, man. It's always great having you on. Shane's at YoungMBA on Twitter. What else do you want to promote before you say goodbye? <laughs> Uh, I got a little, I got some stuff in the works here. I got a video breakdown on the Suns, um, and Devin Booker specifically that I'm still trying to finish, but they play tonight. So I'll probably put it out Monday for everybody, but that, that's about it right now. I'm kind of, I took a little bit of a break, uh, last couple of weeks, but I'm coming back strong. Excellent. Hey, quickly, before we sign off, we want to also remind you to use the coupon code hoopball20 at manscaped.com for 20% off your order and free shipping. And also check out our pals at mybookie. Dot AG. Use the code HOOPBALL on the third page of sign-up to unlock deposit match bonuses there as well. Shane, big thanks, man. Uh, always great having you on, and we will certainly be having you on again this season on the Ethos Clippers podcast. I appreciate you, Brendan. Let's hope, uh, it's a, let's hope they're not on a losing streak <laughs> whenever we talk again. Yeah, ain't that the t- t- truth. All right, I'm at BD Marcus on Twitter. Of course, you can follow the Ethos Clippers Twitter page to get all the podcast links. And of course, you're able to rate and review the podcast. That's great as well. For Shane, I'm Brandon saying so long. Until next time, go Clips.